regroup our hearts and, uh, and sing to the Lord. Water you turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you None like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger God, you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome in power Our God, our God Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger God, you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome power, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against?
issues. It doesn't matter what it is, Lord. There is, there's none like you, Father. And Lord, we agree together this morning that there is no God like you. And Father, we agree also together this morning that blessed be your name. Lord, Job said you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's what we say together this morning, Lord, that in the midst of trials and suffering or when things are exactly as they should be, Lord, we bless your name because we know that there's a God behind everything. And, Lord, you're not just a God who loves. Lord, you are love. And so, Father, we just anchor into you even now this morning. And, Lord, that you make much of yourself, God, among your people. As you've made your spirit to dwell in us, Lord. Father, just give testimony to yourself this morning and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. sing this together church blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow blessed be your name blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name, when the sun shining down on me, when the world's all it should be blessed be your name blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering though there's pain in the offering blessed be your name every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, Jesus, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, you give and take away. Give and take 
choose to say the blessed be your name oh god you give and take away you give and take away and my heart will choose to say the blessed be Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Amen. This next song is called Build My Life. And the first part of the song basically says this, Lord, you're worthy, and because you're worthy, I want to live for you. And the the problem with that is if we ended that song right there, guys, we would be in trouble. (laughs) Because there's no power in and of ourselves to live for Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Paul was not saying there, the Lord is good, the Lord is worthy, so I want to live for him. He was basically saying, Jesus Christ is my life. In fact, Paul was saying, I've died. I've completely died. And this song answers the question, how do we live for Jesus? <laughs> and the way we live for Jesus is that we abide in him. We need his very life in us to live with him. And that's, that's different than what I've heard most of my Christian life. But that, that's how we live for Jesus. We abide in him. Let's sing about that. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever see. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder And show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me Jesus, the name above every other name 
Jesus, the only one you could ever see. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you, Jesus. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. And I will build my Upon your love, it is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Only there is no one like you, there is none beside. team one two three I don't know which one they are we appreciate you you know there's not many times you can look at your phone at five in the morning and just have a big smile come to your face I gotta get these little uh, headlines sport headlines this morning I got one at five o'clock it said 
Alabama's A-Day quarterback struggle. <laughs> and I was like, hey, hey, there's hope. There is hope. So y'all are, y'all are apparently in need of a quarterback. That'd be all right. If you didn't get one, that'd be all right by me. Well, you know, I was thinking this week that the Lord has truly blessed us with many people in our country and around the world that can teach the Bible. And um, I was thinking about Charles Stanley and uh, just his faithfulness for so many years to open God's Word. And um, then I was looking up the ages because I was just curious of John MacArthur and David Jeremiah, and those guys are, uh, they're, they're a little older too. Um, Dr. MacArthur is 83 and Dr. Jeremiah is 80. You combine all three of those men and you put somebody together like Billy Graham, that's a lot of years of life and ministry and the Word. And As a younger guy who's not quite 60, um, I do appreciate um, all the teaching that those men have provided over the years and I'm just truly, truly thankful uh, for them. Well, this morning is, uh, I think, probably one of the... Um, one of the most difficult things maybe we'll have to think through, um, and I hope you're ready to do a little bit of thinking uh, this morning about um, the judgment seat of Christ and your time before him and kind of what is going to go on. Um, I Honestly, I was telling somebody this last week, I'd really not thought about the love, my love as a believer in the context of the judgment seat. Never really thought about that before. And if I had, maybe it's been one or two times before, but as I was studying through this section in 1 John, it's quite clear that the judgment for believers is coming. And part of that measurement before the Lord Jesus himself will be based on our love for one another. How does that hit you? How does that grab you? And when I say that, I don't mean just the folks in here who belong to the Lord. I'm talking about all believers. All those that the Lord's put in your life. And when you have to think about that, that's pretty tough stuff. So I thought maybe to kind of start us uh, this morning, I, I ran across a, a quote from uh, Howard Hendricks. And I really like this quote. It's gets us to think in terms of eternity, the future, what matters now. He says, only two things in this, uh, in this world, excuse me, are eternal, the Word of God and people. It only makes sense to build your life around those things that will last forever. Well, that's true. You think about how many things we might build our lives around that are just flat-out temporary. They just don't matter at the end of the day. But the Lord, the Word of God, people, they matter, right? We know that. And we always talk about, hey, if my relationship is right with the Lord, then my relationship with other people is going to be where it needs to be. And that is true. But I think there ought to be some thought process for us as Christians as it relates specifically to how we are loving one another. And I want to remind you that that agape love, is, it's an action, okay? It's not primarily verbal. 
It's action. It's doing for. It's, it's the illustration of a marriage. You know, a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, so there's this action. And as a husband, our love for our wives should be progressing as we get older in the Lord and further and further along with our mate. Does that sound right? And they should know that. It should be something that they know, that they experience on a firsthand basis. So I want to do this a little bit different today. I'm, I'm going to read through the passage that we'll deal with, and I'm going to comment as I go along, and then I'm going to actually talk to you a little bit this morning about the Bema Seat and then end up with some things you can take home that come from this particular uh, section of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go with me to 1 John chapter 4, okay? 1 John 4. And remember that we have been in the context here for since verse 7 of love and, and the uh, responsibility that we have to love one another. Again, that's an action. It's something that's expressed, okay? It's something that people should know. Hey, I know this person's love for me because. And one of the things we can't do, and, and, and it's difficult to do, I think sometimes we might try to do, is judge the motives of somebody who's loving us. Um, we're going to leave that to the Lord, Okay, the Lord is going to judge that. Okay? The motives, our actions, our attitudes, the Lord himself will judge those things. Now I want us to read, and I'm just going to make commentary as we go through this. Verse 15 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, whoever confesses, that word there means agrees or says the same thing. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. Remember, throughout this whole book, there's this argument of relationship fellowship. So I believe he's talking in terms of fellowship. Those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, they're in fellowship with the Lord. Okay? And so that's what he's saying there in verse 15. There's fellowship going on. Who do you expect to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Believers do that, okay? And so as we do that, and that's an action, I believe, in our lives that's important. It's important to remind one another of doctrinal truth, okay? We can never do that enough. Jesus is the Son of God, okay? Our children need to hear that more than just one time a year, all right? So John says, whoever confesses or agrees that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God, all right? Fellowship. He says, we, meaning himself and the apostles and believers, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Now we need to stop there and talk for just a moment. Notice what John says, we have come to know. Now, if you study that, you find that have come to know is something that happened in their past. There was a specific point in time that they came to know the love which God had for them. All right? But it also continues. Not only did they know it at a point in the past, but they know it now as he's writing. 
they knew the love of God for them. So, when in your life could you point to in the past and say, I knew that I know that God loves me. From this day, 1971, I knew that God loved me. And I know in 2023, God still loves me. Right? Isn't that good to know? That that has not changed. Again, there's kind of a picture there of marriage. So when you, when you get married, I mean, I got married June 21st. I better get this right. 1985. Okay? So Teresa, I hope, knows that my love for her is still there. And it should have progressed. Does that make sense? I should have, have and be serving her more as her husband. So, John says, we have come to know the love which God has for us. We knew it and we still know it. And then he says, and have believed the love which God has for us. Not only did they know it by experience, but they believed it. And that, again, points back to a specific time in the past where they believed the love that God had for them, and they still believe that God loves them, okay? So, quick quiz. Do you remember the day when you came to know and believe the love of God? You remember that? Do you still know and believe the love of God today? Have you ever heard someone say, when they're going through a crisis, I'm not sure if God loves me. You ever heard that before? I've heard people say that. Here's the thing. God can't change. So the love he had for you, it's the same love. All right? It's the same love. It does not change based on our circumstances in our lives. Okay? Then John says, middle of verse 16, God is love. That's who he is. Kevin mentioned that just a few minutes ago. That's who he is. In his essence, he is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Well, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the fellowship, again, that the believer can enjoy as he abides in the love of God. Because remember, the command is to love one another And we're not going to love one another like we need to love one another unless we are abiding in the Lord. That's different from what you've heard in the past. I know because I've sat right where you are. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. We've got to get in our minds. I cannot love because I can't just pick out a few people. I have to love all of the saints. So if I'm going to love all of the saints, then I am going to need the help of the Lord to do that. I'm going to need the help of the Lord to love one saint. Okay? I need his help. I have to abide in him in order for that love to flow out of me, produced by, as we talked about last week, the Spirit of God. And so he says, the one who abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. There's fellowship there, okay? And that's where we want to be. We want to be in fellowship with the Lord. That helps us as we live uh, the Christian life, okay? Well, then he says, verse 17. I think you even have this on PowerPoint for you. Look at this. 
By this, love is perfected with us. By what? By what? By what love is perfected? Remember, the word perfected means brought to maturity or fully developed. By this, he says, love is fully developed with us. By what? How is love fully developed with us? When we are, when we are abiding. That's when love is fully developed in us. We will not love as Christ wants us to love unless we are abiding in the Lord. And so John says to these believers, by this, by abiding in the Lord, in his love, because he is love. He says, love is perfected with us. Why is that so important? This is what he's getting to. Why in the world is it so important for the believer to abide in the Lord so that the love of the Lord can flow out? Why is this so critical? Well, you don't have to guess. He tells you. Look what it says in verse 17. By this, by abiding, love is perfected, brought to maturity with us, so that we... Now notice the the pronoun there. John is not just saying to these guys at the end of the day, hey, look, you're going to stand before the judgment seat. What does he say? We. He says, we. He says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day. Now, listen to this. In the day of the judgment. That's how it reads in the original. It's not in the day of judgment, but it's in the day of the judgment. In other words, it's going to happen. There's nothing, you, as a believer, you can't, you cannot avoid the judgment seat of Christ. And would you want to? Because if you're avoiding the judgment seat of Christ, you're like, I don't want to be at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, you're going to be at another judgment. And you don't want to be at that one. So, my point is this. I don't know that people have thought enough, Christians have thought enough about this moment that's coming being the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? I'm not trying to scare you to death, but here's the reality of it. It's not a picnic. We're standing before the holy, holy, holy God who is going to judge us and as Paul says in Romans, hey, I'm not going to be judged to condemnation, but I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And I'm going to be judged in this context based on how I love my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I don't know how many times we've really thought about that. I have no idea. If I did a survey, how many times have you thought about that in your life? I don't know. But John says here, look, we want to have confidence, don't we? Absolutely we do. Well, how in the world can we have confidence before the judgment seat of Christ? We have to be abiding in him so that his love is flowing out of us. Now, remember that word confidence. Notice what he says. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of the judgment. You remember back in chapter 2, verse 28? That was just a couple of months ago, right? You remember that? Back in chapter 2, look, look back in chapter 2. I want to show you something. 
Because you'll remember this. I know you will. You're very smart people. You will remember when I spoke of this back in chapter 2. Verse 28. You remember what, what John wrote? He says, now little children abide in who? Him. Same thing. I wonder how many conversations there were with these believers like, man, how many times is he going to say that to us? Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have what? Confidence. You remember what that word meant? So that we would speak forth, so that we can have conversation with the Lord. Right? That's what it means. So that we have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So it is possible that we as believers, notice he puts that pronoun we, we can be ashamed at his coming. That doesn't mean we're not looking forward to his coming, but we can be ashamed. Right? And that's what he says here. We may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So this idea of confidence is the idea of us having a conversation, speaking with our Lord. So you go back to verse 17 of chapter 4. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of the judgment. And don't we want to? You say, well, how in the world can we? Obedience. Obedience. And obedience entails, in this context, abiding in the Lord, all right? So he says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Well, who is he? He's love. And what are we to be in this world? Answer, love. He is love. All the time, he is love. So, John says, also are we to be in this world. Warren Wiersbe says, we are God's love in this world to all people. To believer and to unbeliever. Right? Remember we said that and we talked about that. I know you remember because you have great memories. Remember we said back in John's gospel, what did Jesus say to his disciples? The world will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. Your love for one another. Your love for one another. Who will know? The world will know. The unregenerate will know. That's an amazing thought. An amazing concept. I mean, how many times has it happened to you in your life or you've run across a circumstance or you've heard a story about a person who's loving another person, right? Believer, loving believer. When, when everything's against them and, and somebody comments and says, how are, how are they loving each other still? How are they in relationship with one another still? I know this. Whenever church, whenever church is split, things go awry. Think the world notices? Answer, yes. You think the world notices the infighting that happens in churches? Answer, yes. But I think they also notice whenever we're loving on one another. We're actively demonstrating what the Lord wants for us, and that is agape love. All right. Then we come to verse 18. Notice what he says. There is no fear in love. You know what that word fear means? Dread. There's no dread. 
There's no worry. It can also mean no worry in love. It can also mean no holding back in love. There is no fear in love. When I'm loving like I need to love, there's no fear. It's absent of worry. Well, when am I going to love as the Lord wants me to love? When I'm abiding in Him. Hey guys, if you drew this little picture of this text from verse 7 through verse, chapter 5, verse 3, it's all about love. And it's all about God is love, God wants us to love one another, and the key to loving one another is abiding in Him. You want a summary of it? There it is. That's it right there. But all these little integral parts are very, very important. Because we're not just coasting through the Christian life going, well, yeah, I need to love this person and that person. That's what God tells me. Oh, um, listen to me. It's much more than this verbal thing. I need to actively serve my brother Jim. I need to actively serve, yes, actively serve my brother Corey. Lord, you're going to have to help me do that, right? Listen, that's what, it, that's what he's talking about. This is active love. But I can't do it on my own. And we live in a culture of we can do it on our own. I don't need anybody to do this for me. Well, you know what? Say that to the Lord. Because here's the reality of it. I cannot love my brother or sister in Christ unless I'm abiding in him. It's not going to happen. And we want the love of the Lord to come out in our lives. And so he says, there is no fear in love. Notice this, but fully developed love, that's the idea, perfected love, perfect love, cast out. It cast out fear. There's no fear. When love is flowing through me as a believer because I'm abiding in the Lord and the Spirit's working, listen, it casts out fear. It throws it out. There is no fear. That's the idea of the word uh, cast out there. It means to throw out. There is no fear. There's an absence of fear. But again, and I can't say this enough, the key is abiding in the Lord. Okay? Notice what he says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. So if I am not loving like I need to love my brother or my sister... There's going to be dread. There will be. There will be fear. All right? There will be worry. And notice what he says, though. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And then he finishes that. He says, excuse me, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Uh Uh-oh. So who's the one who's fearing? The one who's not perfected. The one who's not fully matured in love. The one who is not abiding in the Lord. That's the one who fears. Okay? He says, because fear involves punishment. Now, that word punishment is an interesting word in the Greek language. It means torment. He says here in the context, fear involves torment. You said, Dad, what kind of torment? I mean, am I going to experience this torment from the Lord, or what are we talking about? Well, you know what's interesting about this word? It's in the present tense. It's not a future tense. 
He says, fear, when there is fear in my life, it involves torment, present tense torment. So when I'm explaining this, meaning when I'm not loving like I need to love because I'm not abiding in the Lord, there is fear, there is worry, there is dread, and there is torment as the end result of that. Because the will of the Lord is for me to do what? Love. Do you know when you're not loving someone as the Lord wants you to? Uh Uh-huh, you do. Yeah, you know, some of the biggest pain and torment that we have is knowing it. We know it. We're like, yeah, I know, but... And we even might even do something crazy like this. Yeah, Lord, I know, but we're talking about Thad. I got to love him. Right? Isn't that the reality of it? It's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So he says, fear involves torment. And that's a present tense. John wanted to get that across. And the one who fears is not fully developed, not mature in love. You know what, guys? I should have a clean conscience about love. It should just be something that I'm abiding in the Lord and I'm going to love this person no matter what they say to me. I'm going to love them. I have more stories about unbelievers than I do believers, although I have a few about believers. But I have been called different names over the years. Not just that. Um, I've been in different coaching arenas where I've had people yell at me. I've had even warnings of that that was going to take place where a person is making a beeline for me and I'm like, they're not coming to encourage me. (laughs) I had a moment not too, too long ago, where someone came to see me in the context of a sporting event. And when the person was walking toward the dugout, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to need your help. And you know what? I got it. I got his help. You say, oh, Thad, you could have handled that by yourself. No, I couldn't. No, I couldn't. Now, you may have not seen my flesh, but I've seen my flesh. How about your own flesh? It's not a pretty sight, is it? So we don't need to have the mentality in Christian circles of, man, I can do it. I can love that guy. I can love that girl. No, 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 no. There has to be the mindset of what John told his audience. Hey, look, I got to abide in the Lord if love's going to be seen in my life. Because I'm going to run up against circumstances I wasn't counting on. Right? You hit the corner and something, somebody's in your face and you're like, man, I wasn't expecting that. What tends to come out when we're not prepared? The flesh. So John says here, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So we want to be perfected in love. We want to be fully matured in love. And that happens as we abide in the Lord. Well, you can't help but as you're working through that, see that phrase, in the day of the judgment. 
Because in the context of the passage you're going to see, I'm going to quote some folks, you're going to see that this is all about that. That one day we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our love in serving brothers and sisters in Christ. So I thought it would be helpful to kind of go through what I have entitled, It is Coming. It is coming. I mean, like, you know. How many of you love going to the dentist? 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 Well, if you're like me, I religious, every six months I'm going in that office and I'm getting my teeth cleaned. I absolutely hate it, but I love it. It's a love-hate relationship. I love the way I feel when I come out, and I know every six months it's coming, right? That day, D-Day, so to speak. Well, it is coming. The judgment seat of Christ is coming. I think it's important to understand some things about this judgment seat. And I wanted to kind of give you a picture here. This is a picture of the ruins in Corinth. Um, one of the things, I have this little video I want to show in just a second, but one of the things you run across in Acts chapter 18 and, and Paul's time in Corinth is you see um, the Bema seat that's mentioned. And if you know your Bibles, you know that in 1 Corinthians 3 and in 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about reward, all right, and loss of reward. And he talks about, specifically mentions in 2 Corinthians 5, the judgment seat, okay? So he had something in mind. He had a visual picture. He wasn't just making this up. Uh, one of the things I wanted to make mention of, in case I forget to mention it later, you say, Thad, when will this happen? That's a good question. Well, it depends on your viewpoint of eschatology, but we teach here at Grace that the next event on the calendar of the Lord is the rapture of the church. Subsequent to the rapture of the church on earth will be the tribulation period, okay? But the church will be in heaven with the Lord. And there are two big events that take place during that time span. And one of them is the Bema Seat. And one is the marriage supper of the Lamb right before the return of Jesus Christ with his saints to rule and reign for a thousand years. So in heaven, these two events are going on. You say, well, how's that going to look? I don't know. Hadn't been there, hadn't done that. But I'll tell you this. The reality is that Paul wrote about it in Romans. Um, we're told about it, the Bema, in terms of a seat in Acts. And then he alludes to it in 1 Corinthians 3 and in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 3 as to reward and loss of reward. I found a little two-minute, a little over two-minute video that I thought might help you um, to understand a little bit of what was going on in the context of, of Acts 18 when Paul's in Corinth. You know, he spent 18 months there, and so this is kind of give you a little bit of an idea of, of what he would have, have actually uh, seen and witnessed and been to. So if you, you guys could show that, right? Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Gospel and Spade. Today we will take a look at the Corinth Bema seat. The remains of a large marble platform were discovered at Corinth, Greece, in 1935. A broken Latin inscription was also found at the site of the platform, which reads, He revetted the Bema and paid personally the expense of making all its marble. Based upon the style of the letters used in the inscription, both the Bema and the inscription have been dated to sometime around 25 
to 50 AD. A Greek beamer, also known as a rostra in Latin, was a public place where official proclamations were made to the people and also acted as a place where both trials took place and legal appeals were made by citizens. In relation to the Bible, Acts chapter 18 verses 12 to 17 records that when Paul was brought by the Jews of Corinth before Gallio, the Roman governor of the province of Achaia, who I have discussed in a previous video, which link will be above, that this event, based upon both the biblical and secular chronologies, occurred sometime between 51 to 52 AD, and it took place at the judgment seat or bema that was located within Corinth. Now, based upon the biblical account found in Acts, and the discovery of both the ancient bema within the city and the inscription which dates its construction to sometime before 50 AD, it is almost certain that this particular bema was the place where Paul was brought before Governor Gallio sometime during the man's year-long reign over the province, in either 51 or 52 AD. This discovery, therefore, once again helps to demonstrate the historical accuracy of Luke's account that is found recorded in Acts chapter 18, that a beamer was indeed present within Corinth during Paul's 18-month ministry within the city. Thank you for watching. As always, please don't forget to leave a like, comment, and subscribe for more. All right, well, hopefully that helps you kind of get a little picture there of of what that would have been like in that, that setting, that culture. I think it's important to remember that Caesars would have sat on those to judge folks as well as Herod's. You'd find that. And then also um, you would have um, like what we would consider like Olympic Games, the Isthmian Games. There was rewards handed out at those. And so that's kind of a, a picture there for us in terms of, of reward and judgment, okay? And that's the context of uh, Acts chapter 18 when Paul is there with, with Gallio. I wanted to um, just give you some facts that might help you to think through this a little bit more because, you know, I think when John's writing this to these believers, he wants them on board with the idea they're going to face the Lord one day. He wants them to understand the importance of loving one another and all within that framework and context of judgment. And I don't know how many of you have ever thought about your love for your brother or sister being judged. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many of you have done that. I wanted to give just some things here I think that are important to understand uh, for us. The Greek word refers to a um, platform, and um, they could actually set those up as they went. And a lot of times they were, especially when they were doing games and things like the, the, what we would consider something like Olympian games or the Isthmus games. They would set up these places in order for the participants to receive their reward, okay? So when we stand before the Lord Jesus, and this is important, I will say it probably once more for sure, every single believer will stand before the Lord Jesus. This is not like a group judgment. This is a single, each man, each woman, each believer. Um, I don't know how that strikes you or how that hits you. 
Um, but I think that we probably should think more and more about that. You know, you talk about the last two or three years and the people and the being anxious about different things. And, hey, listen, we have the full picture, don't we? We understand who's coming and we understand what's coming. And judgment is part of that. And I am so, so thankful to the Lord. I will say right now at 1129, I am not going to be judged to condemnation, but I will be judged by the Lord Jesus. This judgment occurs, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, before the second coming of Christ. I kind of highlighted that for you. And then believers are rewarded to varying degrees. In fact, there's reward and loss of reward. And that's a whole other subject in terms of the kingdom and one's position in the kingdom. Maybe we'll have to do a series on that. I don't know how many of you have thought about your position in the kingdom, but it might be something to think about. All that's based on what we do for the Lord and the judgments that we're talking about. All right? I wanted to also give you, there's two judgments. If you're trying to frantically write this down, I'll have this for you uh, next week, and you can just have it, all right? Um, This is a a chart that I got from Charles Ryrie on two judgments compared. You'll see there the one mentioned in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10, the judgment seat of Christ. Only believers are at that judgment. And he has the time frame after the rapture before the millennial period, okay? Um, There are some that have a view there's just one judgment and it's for everybody and you're good or you're bad and that's kind of it. Um, But if you study the scriptures, it's really clear that there are more judgments than mine than even these two that are mentioned here this morning. Um, And then reward and loss of reward is what is... um, the focal point there in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, isn't it very interesting to think about that each and every one of us that know Christ will stand before him? That day's coming. Well, you don't want to be at this other one. Uh, the great white throne judgment is mentioned in Revelation 20. Only unbelievers, he says, and then after the thousand-year reign of, of Christ is when this takes place before the new heaven And the new earth and eternal judgment is at stake there, all right? And I think, you know, I've mentioned this in years past. Listen, hell's no picnic for sure based on what we find in the scriptures. But I truly believe, as Paul alludes to, that the one who made you being separated from him forever, that's going to be hell. Because the one that loves you the most, right? The one who sent his son. Um, Anyway, all right. Well, there's two major passages. Um, There's a Romans passage, but I didn't allude to that one this morning. That speak about this judgment. Just so you kind of understand, you know, what's coming for you and for me. And I love the way that John did this. He didn't go, hey, look, guys, you're, you're in this judgment scene. He puts himself with them. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, If any man builds on the foundation, what's the foundation? Who's the foundation? Jesus Christ is. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. It will be revealed. That's the idea of the word evident. Notice he says, For the day will show it. What day? This day that we're talking about. Right? The judgment seat of Christ. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. 
He says, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Because some of it will be burned up. Who's going to be able to judge then your motives? The Lord will. Who knows everything about why you do ministry? The Lord does. Who knows about how you love other people? The Lord does, right? So, hey, look, we may wake up each day and have all kinds of people judging us, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus Christ that's going to judge us, and that's what matters, right? He says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Now, that's important to know. That's a little phrase, very important. He's writing to believers, right? And Corinth wasn't exactly this model church. I don't think they were counting all their, hey, man, I'm going to get this many rewards. I don't think that was going on. I think Paul puts it out there. Hey, look, you're saved. You're secure. But there's a day coming where you will experience loss because of your motives and your actions. And remember, we could even highlight an example in 1 Corinthians 11 at the Agape Feast when they weren't judging themselves properly, right, at that feast. And what was going on? Sickness and death. Right? There was torment right then because they weren't loving like they should. All right. Then 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, he says, um, For we must all appear. Notice Paul includes himself in that statement. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to whether, excuse me, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we must all, every single believer in Christ, will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, isn't it, isn't it, 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 it it's kind of surreal to think about, you know, you, you hear people, I can't wait till Christ comes back, I can't wait till Christ comes back, and I can't wait either. But that day's coming too. Not only when I'm going to see him face to face in all his glory, but I'm going to give an account for my life as a believer, my love specifically in the context of First John. All right. I wanted you to chew on these things as you take them home today um, from 1 John. And I wanted you to remember these things. These are really, really important things if you go back to 1 John as you look in the text itself. All right. The first thing is by abiding in God and His love, love is perfected or fully developed with us. Listen to me. And this is something really critical. This abiding piece is something that every day I need to say, Lord... I'm coming in to surrender to you. I'm going to walk by your spirit. I'm going to abide in you. I want your truth, your love reproduced in my life by the spirit. Marvin Vincent says the love of God is perfected with us in communion with us through our abiding in him and he in us. All right? So we need to chew on that abiding piece. All right? As we're abiding in him, love is perfected uh, in us. Second thing is the end result of this perfected love is that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. We want to have a boldness in the day of judgment. We want to have a confidence in the day of judgment. There was a story I told of uh, C.H. Spurgeon was talking to this young pastor. And they were talking about judgment. And he says, Mr. Spurgeon, you have just so, so many people that, that you're accountable for. Just thousands of people that you have been involved with in their lives. And, and he said, I just can't imagine what that, that kind of accountability is. He said, I only have 100 people in my congregation. And Spurgeon looked at him and said, 
but it's a hundred and you'll be accountable for what you say from the word of God. I thought that's good because a lot of times we tend to kind of, you know, oh wow, look at all that accountability with this person and this person, and this person. And that doesn't mean that a teacher doesn't incur stricter judgment, but here's the reality, whether you're teaching 100,000 or whether you're teaching two, you're accountable to the Lord. So the end result of this love is we want to have confidence as we stand before our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. And as we think of that, this is a person, this is the saint who in his earthly life has had the love that God is in his nature brought to its full capacity of operation by the Holy Spirit in his life. That's why... Paul writes to great pains in Galatians, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Okay? So that the fruit of the Spirit is produced uh, through us. All right. And then the third thing I want you to remember from this uh, text in 1 John is the root for this confidence is our conformity to the character of the Lord. He is love. And remember last week we talked about, hey, we're His representatives. Right? There was Jesus, and he ascended to the Father, and now there's the church. We are his representatives. So we represent, if you will, the love of the Lord. All right? And then this particular statement I think is really critical. If we fear the day of judgment, it may be an indication that we have not loved others as God expects. That's, that one's right in the gut. That's a tough one. Um, I'm not quite sure how many people were brought to my mind this week where the Lord was asking me to measure my love, my service toward another believer. Um, it's real easy when class is dismissed to kind of dismiss the subject. But I would encourage all of us to ask the Lord to help us to understand who it is we need to love better as believers, all right? Charles Ryrie says this, if you fear God's judgment, at the very least, you're not practicing biblical love for others as you should be doing. <laughs> How many of you find that to be just tremendously easy? It's not, is it? It's difficult, right? There are some foods that are hard to chew. There are some that are easy. If I need something easy, I'm eating yogurt, right? Just flip that can thing open and sh- it goes right on down. Don't need much help at all. My grandpa Blunt used to eat eggs and fried eggs every morning for breakfast. And he never did put his teeth in. He could just swallow those puppies. Just go right down. Right? Some stuff's easy to swallow. But invariably, when he would get to the meat, he was like, yeah, I got to put my teeth in for this. All right? Some of these things are hard, guys. I'm not, listen, I am not up here saying to you, I've got it down. In fact, I'm saying I'm just like Paul. I'm the chief of sinners, and I need the help of the Lord to love people. But if there's one thing I'm taking from this lesson, it's I have to abide in the Lord because the day's coming when I'm going to stand before him. All right. Kenneth Weiss said concerning this subject, the saint who has experienced the fullness of this divine love in his earthly life will have no fear of correction or penalty And he defines that as loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. The saint who approaches that in a spirit of fear 
is the saint who has not experienced the fullness of this love. And for the reason that he did not maintain a spirit-filled life during his earthly journey or sojourn. I mean, this is big-time stuff to me. It's heavy stuff. It's the kind of stuff that we sat in class at Southeastern, and I'd be like, oh, this hurts. All right? Tough stuff. In with Wayne Barber's comment, he says, The certainty of the Bema seat of Christ occurring at a specific point in time in eternity in the life of each individual believer should serve as a strong motivator, causing us to forget what lies behind and, like the runner, be determined to win the race and receive the reward. And that's what, I like that. That's a great way to kind of end up on these quotes because there is motivation. Because it's the Lord Jesus, our Savior, that will stand before one day. Uh, we may have feared a lot of judgment in our day, but he's the one that, at the end of the day, we should fear. Um, I read a story about Babe Ruth, and it was... How many of you don't know who Babe Ruth was? Okay, that would, that would concern me. Um, obviously, we know how great of a baseball player Babe Ruth was. And um, there was one particular time he was up to bat, and the umpire who was calling the balls and strikes behind the plate, his name was Babe as well, except his name was Babe Felipe. Well, that's a little bit different than Babe Ruth. Well, he was up to bat, and Ruth had two strikes on him. And the umpire called third strike. And the fans are booing and they're going crazy. And Ruth said to Felipe, he said, listen, you can hear from the 40,000 boos that you got the call right. I mean, the call wrong. And he, he looked at, at baby and said, yeah, the 40,000, though, they don't matter. At the end of the day, it's my judgment that matters. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of people that are judging our lives. We do it too, right? All of us do. But at the end of the day, we're going to stand before the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me give you some encouragement to end on. While we will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, if you're at that judgment, you won't stand condemned. You'll stand saved. You will stand forever with the Lord. And the Bible tells us from 1 Thessalonians that once we see him, We'll always be with him. So I know it's hard to listen to. I know it's hard to think through. But I'm going to pray. You pray for me. The Holy Spirit will work in my life with this. And I'll pray that he'll work in your life with it. All right? Let's pray together. Father, it's uh, your scriptures, um, they're just at times really difficult to plow through because we we always want to hear good stuff and... Um, and it is good stuff because it's going to keep us in the mind of, of just how accountable we are in our lives as Christians. But I pray you wouldn't help us, to, help us not to push it away or push it you know, outside, but help us to think through, you know, how am I serving in love my brothers and sisters in Christ? And where are my shortcomings? Because, Lord, I, I want to make sure that my love is being matured in you. And the only way that I can see that that happens from this text 
is as I'm abiding in you, I'm living in you, I'm up close to you. There's an intimacy with you. Just like if, if in a marriage, th- there has to be that, that intimacy of, of just pulling up together and, 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 and talking and, and having that relationship and, and loving one another and expressing that. It's the same thing in the Christian life. We need to pull up close to you. We need to live where you are. We need to think about the things that, that, that bring honor and glory to you. And Lord, we can't do all that in our own strength. We need your spirit who you've given us. We need him to control our lives. We need him to, to fill us so that we might be um, lighthouses, not only to people here in this building, but people outside, that they might see Christ in us. And so we're asking for your help today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would do that and that we would be um, just mindful of, of what you're able to do for us, that we don't have to try to live the Christian life in our own strength, but that we can depend on you and depend on your spirit. And so we just commit ourselves to you today. Uh, teach us where we need to be taught and help us to remember the things, Lord, that you've given us from your word. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Let's all stand, church. I wanted to read a short passage from Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Listen to this. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This song is a celebration of that new life that's only found in Jesus Christ. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. And you stood before my failure And carried the cross for my shame My sin weighed upon your shoulders My soul now to stand So what could I say? What could I do But offer this heart, oh God Completely to you So I walk upon salvation Spirit alive in me, 
life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. So what could I say? And what could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. And what could I say? And what could I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all and I'll stand my soul Lord to you surrendered all I am is yours and I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all and I'll stand my soul Lord to you surrendered all I am is yours and I'll stand with arms high and heart I was like, let's just keep singing. I stand, I stand. I like that. Andrea, come up and make your announcement. Oh. Oh, that'll be weird. That would be kind of weird. (laughs) Here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I guess I gotta use it on this thing. Sorry, they didn't know I was going to make an announcement, I guess. Um, 
If you don't know me, I know I don't, I'm not up here a lot. I'm in the children's building, but I'm Andrea Stovall. I'm the children's director here at Grace. And um, was it last weekend? My time, uh, last weekend, we had a massive yard sale here Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday of last week. Uh, we were raising money for uh, people here who are going on mission trips this year and next year. And I just wanted to report that as of this past Monday, we raised $8,500 with that sale. Um, but this week I've sold 300 more dollars of stuff um, so we're now at $8,800 and I hope by the end of May I'm going to reach my $10,000 mark because the neatest thing happened at the sale which at first I thought was going to be a weird thing but I received this uh, estate lot of 150 dolls which sounds weird, and they are weird. But um, once they started rolling in, I thought, this is unusual and valuable. Even in the condition they were in, I just knew I had to find the right people. So I made a post on a Marketplace, or on what's happening in Trustful, and my phone blew up with doll collectors. So that's what I'm continuing to, peddling dolls out of the back room of the church. So... Um, if you're a doll collector in here, you don't have to tell anybody. You can just come, come find me in the back room, and I'll show you the back room of dolls. Um, but, yeah, there were some from the mid-1800s, so I am, like, scouring online and finding people who are willing to pay money. But um, So, anyway, I'm going to reach $10,000. That's my goal. And I've got some stuff. We had some antiques donated. I'm trying to sell those on Marketplace because that was my goal, and I want to reach it for our people going on mission trips. So I thank everybody who donated. We had so much stuff, and we unloaded a bunch of stuff and gave a bunch to the thrift store. So thank you for those who donated. Thank you for all who came out to work. We had a lot of people come work who weren't going on mission trips. So thank you all so much. You made it successful. Hey, we certainly want to thank Andrea for all her hard work. We really appreciate it. And I don't remember, know if you remember last week, but, you know, we had a, 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 a golf cover. It was an LSU Tiger, and we had a hog hat. And between the two, they brought 60 bucks. One, <laughs> one brought 40, the other brought 20. I'll let you keep guessing on who brought 40 and 20. Anyway, most people must think more of LSU. But I do, Andrew, I have a, it's not a doll, but I have this, this uh, hog-looking thing in my living room, and he's got goggles on. I think he's supposed to be, like, riding a motorcycle. I think, I don't know when it dates back to, but I think it could bring, bring some money, all right? <laughs> all right. Um, want to make one more announcement before we, we're dismissed. Next Sunday, we will have our annual picnic. And uh, I know it's been advertised in other ways, but I wanted to make sure you guys all knew about it. It'll be uh, next Sunday, immediately after uh, the service, so from 12.30 to 3 o'clock at the Clay City Park. And it's a field day picnic, and so you come, and it'll be a good time of fellowship. I would encourage you to come and be involved and just getting to know folks here better, all right? So I encourage you to do that. Well... You guys can be dismissed, and I look forward to fellowshipping with you more, right?